Today we're continuing through our series in Romans chapter 9, and the title of today's message is, It's Not Who You Think It Is. Now, I, I, well, I just, I love movies in general, but I love a good underdog movie, Um, and by that I mean not like the underdog movie, like there's no need to fear underdog is here, that movie was not so good. But a good underdog movie, whether it be Rocky or, or you know, any good sports movie where, you know, that little team that nobody expected to win goes on to win it all. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings, where, where anything where, where you have the, these people or this person where all the odds are stacked against it, or them, or him, or her, and somehow they find a way to overcome. We, we love stories like that in our country, um, and I think part of that is because that's really the story of how our country began. Uh, uh, farmers and, and just townspeople versus an empire, and somehow we were able to overcome and, and become the United States. Um, Stories where common knowledge would say, well, we know who the winner's going to be and who shouldn't be able to overcome, but somehow they, they do it. We love stories like that. And, and that's really a little bit of what's happening in Romans chapter 9 because you have the church that's made up of, of Jews and Gentiles and for years and up till really the point of... of Christ dying, Gentiles, people that weren't Jewish, weren't supposed to be able to get close to God. And yet, because of Jesus, there was a way. And so, in Romans chapter 9 and verses one, er, uh, 2 and 3, he starts by saying, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I'd be willing to be a forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. We're going to actually talk more about that next week because he's really taking a few chapters to, to talk about this idea that we're starting this week. Um, but he, he's going to basically go on to say that it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter who your family is, it doesn't matter how religious you are, those aren't the things that saves you. It's faith in Jesus. But but like I said, see, the, the Romans didn't grow up, or not the Romans, the Jews in the Church of Rome didn't grow up believing that way. They grew up believing that it was religion, that it was your nationality, that it was where you come from, that it was those things that made you God's children. In fact, Paul kind of goes on to describe some of these things. These are the things that make you think that you're God's children. He says, they're the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. He says, but in verse 7, he says, But being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. 
that they have all of these things going for themselves. They're people of Israel. They're chosen to be God's adopted children. He made covenants with them. He gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping and receiving promises. But being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. He basically says, it's not who you think it is. He goes on in verse 8. He says that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. And so Paul begins to make this argument. I'm going to read it. And uh, awesome. Thanks, Adam. Communion cups are passed out. Um, That he goes on to make this, this argument. And so I'm going to read it and then we'll break it down a little bit. But starting at verse 8, he says, that means Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily the children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he remarried Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But when they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received this message from God, or received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of scripture, I have loved Jacob, but I have rejected Esau. And what he's doing here is he's showing something that God you see him do over and over again through scripture. And Paul is explaining this through the Jewish patriarchs to help the Jews kind of understand what he's trying to say. Because they're trying to figure out how to do church together. So he's using an example that the Jews would understand. The patriarchs of the Jewish nation, the patriarchs of the Jewish religion. And it's this this idea that God lots of times chooses the second guy. He, he chooses the runner-up. That In that culture, the firstborn son got the best of everything when their father died. When their father died, they got, they, they got the inheritance. They got the best of the inheritance. When their father was still alive, the oldest son got the father's blessing. The firstborn son was sort of the chosen one, the chosen son to carry on the family honor, to carry on the family legacy. But then Paul points out Abraham. And and Isaac was not the first son that Abraham had. Abraham had a son with his servant because he thought his wife couldn't get pregnant. And yet it was his second son. It was Isaac that was the son of God's promise. That that Abraham's older son was born, but it wasn't the son of the promise of God. The second son, Isaac, was the son of the promise. It was the second son that God chose, who Abraham blessed, who Abraham gave his inheritance to. 
that it's not necessarily who you think it is. Then Abraham's son Isaac got married and his wife had twins. But even though the first son to be born was Esau, God chose the second son, Jacob, to be the one that the nation of Israel would come from. And Jacob wasn't even that good of a guy. Jacob was a con man. He was a trickster. He, he, for a good chunk of his life, was not probably the good son. He was the one that was causing all the problems. But verse 11, he says, but before they were born, before they had done anything, good or bad, that she received the message from the Lord. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. And then the nation of Israel came through the second son, Jacob. The 12 tribes came from the 12 sons that were Jacob's sons. And it's interesting that they came from, or most of them came from his wife, Rachel, his second wife. Because when he got married the first time, it wasn't through he thought it was. It, it came from the wife of promise. People chosen not based on tradition, or not people chosen not based on good or bad, or who you thought it should be, because it's not who you think it is. And that was important for the Jews to understand in the Roman church. The chosen ones of God, it might not necessarily be who you think it is. Because these Jews, they had always assumed that they were God's chosen people. And Paul's saying, it's not where you come from that makes you right with God. It's if you put your faith in Jesus. Because the Jews came first as God's children. But just because you came first doesn't mean a whole lot because that's not always how God does it. He doesn't always pick the one that everybody expects to be it. He doesn't always expect, the. it's not always the first one. In verse 24 and 25, he says, and we are among those he's, whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Isaiah, those who are not my people, I'll now call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And just look at who Jesus chose to be the disciples. Jesus didn't pick the religious people. He didn't pick the elders, the teachers of the law. He, his disciples were a bunch of sinners and people that were kind of second-rate, second-class citizens because it's not who you think it is when it comes to God. Because the religious ones, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, made it about what you do, not about faith. The Israelites, they would follow all the rules and then they would make up even more rules to go on top of the rules that were in the Bible and say you have to live by these in order to follow God. You have the Old Testament would have 
all, all sorts of rules in them of how to live. But then the, the Jews in Jesus' day, they had a whole other book of, of rules that you had to follow. Uh, you had to do all these extra rules on top of the rules to follow and to, to be able to be a, a good child of God. And you go, well, why in the world would they do that? Why would they add extra rules to the rules they already have? That seems kind of crazy. But look, sometimes the church today isn't a whole lot better. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to look this certain way. You've got to dress this way. You have to act like this. You don't say that. And don't think that way. And don't have these opinions. Oh, and don't do that. And we make it about rules and works rather than faith. Where it's more about what we do than who we believe in. Because see, when it's more about what we do than who we believe in, then that affords us all kinds of pride. It it gives us this sense of power that, well, you're in and you're out. You did this, so you're in. You didn't do that, so you're out. Oh, I did this better than you, so I'm a better Christian than you. When, when, when it's about what we do, then we can have pride and be justified in our minds. We act like we're the one that chooses. We, we, we do this. We look at all the rules and we go, okay, well, we, and we act like we get to choose who's in, who's out. But in verse 16, Paul says, it's God who decides to show mercy. We can either choose it nor work for it. It's not our decision. We, we get in all these arguments about who's in, who's out, who could be in, who could be out, but it's not up to us. It's up to God. It's God who decides to show mercy. We can either choose it, we can't work for it. So he goes on in verse 18. He says, so you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so that they refuse to listen. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they just simply done what he makes them do? He says, no, don't say that. He says, you're a mere human being. Who, he says, who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw, in, or to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are made for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine brighter on those whom he shows mercy, who are prepared in advance for his glory. Paul says, look, you're just a lump of clay. God is in charge. God is fair. God is just. And God can see people's hearts which is something none of us, by the way, have the ability to do. 
So when we start making up rules and interpretations of what this means or that means outside of what the Bible tells us so that we can feel like we have a say in who God's going to show mercy to and who we should show mercy to, when we start doing that, we're not in a place we need to be as Christians. We're on dangerous ground when we start doing that. If you don't follow the rules, you're not welcome at church. There's plenty of people that still believe that. There are plenty of people that think, well, if you don't follow the rules, then you can't really come to church. I hear people who aren't even Christians say, oh, I can't come to church because I, I do this and I do that. I, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be welcome at church. Have conversations with people. Oh, I couldn't go to church. The, it would, the roof would collapse on us all. Oh, I couldn't go to church. Lightning would strike. I, I don't think I can come to church. I, because I do this, and I do this, and I have, I have tattoos, and I, I you know, wear my hat, and all these things. I, I, I wouldn't be welcome at church. Where in the world would they get that idea? They get it from us. They get it from Christians. They either hear us say it, or they perceive it by how we act towards them. Because so often we're still living like the Old Testament. And I've got a sobering truth for us, church. It's not who you think it is. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not who you might think it is. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what's the Father's will? Well, Jesus says this in John chapter 6, 39 through 40. He says, this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all of those he has given me, but I should raise them up in the last day. For it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. That's the Father's will. So doing the Father's will looks like going into the world to help people believe in Jesus. Because Jesus said that it's the Father's will that Jesus doesn't lose a single one. So if we're going to accomplish God's will, we have to do our best to see that nobody gets lost, that the lost are found, that we're finding the lost. 
and then equipping the found. That's what he asks us to do. If we have faith in Jesus, that's what he asks us to do, to go out into the world and help save those that are lost. But how often do we do that? Because the world gets the idea that they wouldn't be in welcome from church because they do this or that. Jesus said, a lot of people will cry out to me as Lord, but they won't do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus says that it's the will of God that he shouldn't lose anyone. That, that all who see his son and believe will have eternal life. Because the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. We so often make Christianity about following these rules and yet we so often miss one of the biggest commands Jesus gives us to go and make disciples, to go and share the good news, to go share the truth of God. And the truth of God is this, God has chosen you. He has chosen you to put your faith in him. He has chosen everyone in here, everyone out there. It doesn't matter where you come from, good, bad, what your family is like, what your past looks like. He has chosen for you to follow him. What did Paul say? Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Remember that? We read that just a few minutes ago. But look at what Paul says in Galatians 4.28. He says, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Abraham's child, Isaac. And then look what Peter says about the promise. Second Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Which means if you're able to listen and understand me and what I'm saying in this moment, God wants you because he wants everyone to repent. God has chosen you to put your faith in him. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know, I I don't know that God wants me. I I don't think God would use me. I don't think that I've got what it takes to be a Christian. I don't, I don't think God would want me. Well, if you're sitting there thinking that, it's okay because it's not who you think it is. So you have a choice if you're listening today to choose to put your faith in Jesus and give him your life or to allow your heart to be hardened towards God. Go back to what we read before. For God said to Moses, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. 
He says, for the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so that they refuse to listen like he did through Pharaoh. Harden Pharaoh's heart so that God's glory could be displayed in how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt while the nation of Israel was enslaved. And check this out. This is in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Moses and Aaron go in to see the Pharaoh. And it says... Moses and Aaron went to see the Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I won't let the people go. And then you see Moses and Aaron and God doing some things. And then in Exodus 7.13, it says, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord headset. See, here's what happens. The more that you resist God, whether it's asking him into your life, whether it's resisting him when it comes to doing something he's telling you to do, or resisting him in obeying him in something that he said, the more you know what you should do, and the more you resist God in doing it, Repeated resistance of God develops the inability to respond to God. It's like if you push God away, you push God away, you push God away. I don't want God, I don't want God, I don't want God, I don't want to obey, I don't want to obey, I don't want to obey. The more you push God away, God will eventually just let your heart and your life get calloused over. It's not necessarily that God leaves. It's just he lets your heart get hard so you can't recognize that he's there. So that you can't respond to him anymore. It's like your spirit gets atrophied and and freezes up. And he, he will allow your heart to harden to the point that you can't even respond to what he wants to do with you anymore. He will harden your heart. If you keep resisting and pushing back, he'll harden your heart. That's what happened to Pharaoh. God kept showing up. God kept putting Moses and Aaron in front of him to speak to him, to let him know what he had to do. He kept showing signs that it was God, and Pharaoh kept refusing it, and God hardened his heart. And there are some of you here today and you've been resisting what God wants to do in your life. And your heart has gotten hard to the point that you've developed an inability to respond to God. There are some of you here today that right now you are resisting God in some area of your life. And you're in danger of losing your ability to respond to God and what he wants to do in your life. 
There are some of you here today and your heart is hard, but you think you're fine because you're coming to church or you're watching online, you're helping people, you're being good, you're, you're being kind, you're doing the right things, you're being a good person, you read your Bible every day, you pray, and you think you're fine, but it's just going through the motions. Reading your Bible, praying, it's just another act of works. You're living your Christian life by works, not by faith. And your heart has gotten hard. You've resisted God in some way and your heart has gotten hard. Because see, here's the thing. You can resist God and not respond to him all the while living out works-based Christianity. Your heart can be as hard as Pharaoh's and still be doing all the right Christian things that you look like a strong Christian to those around you. You can resist God, be non-responsive to Jesus, all while being religious. Maybe that's why there are so many people in our community that haven't heard the gospel. Maybe that's why so many Christians don't share their faith. Maybe that's why there are so many people in our community that are depressed and on drugs and without hope. Maybe that's why there are so many people in our churches today that are depressed and addicted and angry and frustrated and without hope. Because you keep on working at being a Christian but you've stopped responding to Jesus in your life. You're going through the motions. You're doing all the right work. But when God calls you, you've stopped responding and your heart's gotten hard. And you need to repent today, right now, because it's not always who you think it is. You think you're fine because you're in the right place or you're in the right family, you're doing the right religious things. You're like the Jews in Paul's time in the Roman church, doing all the right things. And Paul's heart is broken for them because they think they're okay, but they're far from Jesus. They think it's them, they think they're the ones, they think they're chosen but it's not who you think it is. So right now, I just want you to close your eyes. Ask God right now, in this moment, is all that I am yours, Jesus? Ask God, is my identity in you based on my faith? Or is my identity in you based on who I am and what I'm doing?
some of you aren't very close to God and you've written off the idea that you can be. And God's message to you today is the people I choose, it's not who you think it is. And God is calling you to put your faith in him, maybe for the first time, to truly put your faith in him. And let me ask you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, is that you that maybe God's saying, you need to put your faith in me, all of it, for the first time? If that's you, just maybe raise your hand up real quick because I want to pray for you. And I want to pray with you and encourage you. Some of you aren't very close to God, but the people that are around you wouldn't know it. You're not very close to God, but the people around you probably think, well, they're doing fine. Maybe you even deceived yourself a little bit. You're doing all the right Christian-y things, but in truth, your relationship with Jesus has been pushed away. And you can just tell your heart has gotten a little bit hard. If that's you, God's message to you today is it's not too late to come back. But if you push me away again in this moment, your heart's going to get harder. If you push me away and push me away, your heart might harden the rest of the way. You'll be able to, uh, uh, unable to respond. Repent now while you can. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what other people think. It's who I choose. And it may not be who you think it is. And if that's you, just repent in this moment. Just cry out to God and say, I'm sorry that I've, I keep pushing you away. I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I'm just coming to you and I know that I'm broken and I just pray that you heal my heart. Soften, soften my heart now, Jesus. Finally, maybe your relationship with Jesus is okay, but it's just kind of okay. It's mediocre. And you're tired of being a mediocre Christian. And maybe part of that mediocrity is because there's an area of your life where you've been resisting God. Where you're living in faith, you're, you're trusting God, but, but there's just an, one area of your life where you just keep pushing back. Where you're resisting being obedient to what he said. And you know you need to repent of that. Just go ahead and do that. Just repent of that area where you're pushing back and pushing back and pushing back because 
that part of, of your spiritual heart is hardening. Now here's the good news. No matter who you are, if you've responded to God some way this morning, your heart isn't fully hardened. If you've responded in some way, even if it's the smallest step, you haven't developed an inability to respond. And let me just say this too, if you didn't respond today, it doesn't mean you're beyond hope. Remember, God is patient. We read that. But if you didn't respond this morning, you need to respond soon. You don't have to be in church to respond, but you have to respond. If you didn't respond this morning, there's still hope, but respond soon. Don't let your heart harden.